traditionally, we get a lot of flooding in that province, but St. John is not amongst them usually. Uh, but poor old Frederick in the capital is, is uh, underwater in their downtown area at the moment. So. But uh, I, I'm so glad that we have God's Word. And uh, I've committed myself to going through the entire scriptures again this year, me and a friend. And so uh, one of the things that we decided to do, because typically you go through the Old Testament and you breeze through the Psalms, and felt that the Psalms were just too important to just do it once a year, so we do a different Psalm every day. And so the Psalm that uh, I was asked to read for today comes from the 22nd chapter of the uh, Psalms, and it's starting at verse 25. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done this. May the Lord add his blessing. Certainly may the Lord add his blessing to his word. Let's pray together. Father, into this world that you have given to us. We are told that you spoke it into being. And into our hearts, we are told that it is your word that will have the most profound effect. We ask that you would help our ears to hear, our minds to understand, our hearts to feel, and our hands to serve. Pray that you would bless We're talking about transformations this week. Whoa, that is not the right. Sorry, technical difficulties. I did this beforehand. So. Sorry about that, everybody. Okay, so we're going to be jumping back in. Sorry about that, folks online. Uh, you can put your pajamas back on, Mom. Um, we're going to be starting now. So my mom is at home today. Uh, she almost had to get dressed to come to church, but uh, she's not going to be doing that. So we are going to be in Judges 6 as we are talking about transformation today. Can you pass me my, my, my Bible there, too? So we're going to be in Judges chapter 6. And uh, we're going to be talking about the story of Gideon as he transforms into a mighty warrior. Now, uh, as we talk about transformation, it's a really interesting thing for us to talk about because uh, I grew up watching the television show Transformers. And uh, if anybody else remembers the television show Transformers or experiments with those, it was great. Everybody loves Transformers. That, you would just 
have like a robot that turned into a car. It could only be really two things. And you never knew if it was really a robot or really a car. And and uh, and I never actually had Transformers. I had GoBots, which were the cheaper version of Transformers. And something would be like a car and it would be like a robot and a submarine. Um, but yeah. But they could only be two things. But and but I but I love that concept that this thing that was one thing could be another thing. That was the funny. That was the, fu the those made for the funnest toys in the world. And I think it's sort of unfortunate because when we start to talk about transformation, uh, that's often what people think of, think of that I that I, that somehow like uh, I I touch an all spark like I touch the you know like I touch this thing that transforms me and now I could and then I turn into a car right like. But when we talk about transformation as followers of Jesus, we're not talking about that as much as as uh, as utter changing in who we are. The word that, that 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 we use for transformation in the Greek is the same word that is used for when a a, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. That that somehow there's a, a transformation is because the, the 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 transformation or metanoia is the word in Greek that that takes place. Is that is that one thing becomes something else entirely but it was always what that thing was meant to be so when we talk about transformation as followers of Jesus we're talking about God pulling out of us what we were always meant to be and there's a great story in Judges that that, that can take us in that direction and show us how this kind of works for us and for those who are uh, followers of Jesus as well and that's the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6 now for those of you that are Bible nerds like me, you're uh, already thinking like, but I know that the story of Gideon doesn't end well. You're right, it doesn't, but we're going to skip that part right now. We're going to stick to, we're going to get about halfway through Gideon's story, where Gideon is who God called him to be, and then uh, later he, he, he takes it too far and, and is destructive to everyone around him. But are we on the same, is that on the private network? So, so that's fine. Can we go to the can we go to the next slide? Okay. Can we go to the next one? Okay, so sorry about that. Uh we're going to meet uh we're going to meet uh Gideon right at the beginning of Judges. Now, the angel of so when we meet uh, the so we meet meet Gideon here now the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, "The Lord is with you, mighty warrior." Now we are supposed to recognize the joke in this, and we don't because does anybody know what a wine press looks like? Okay, a wine press was a big old, uh, all, like a giant bucket, kind of, that you would dump all your grapes in, and the way that you pressed grapes was that you would walk on the grapes. That's how you would press the grapes, okay? Now, when you're threshing wheat, you need to throw the wheat up into the air so that the wind can catch the stuff that's light that you don't want and blow it away, and then you catch it with the rest, and then you have the grain that you want. That's how you thresh wheat. So, if you're threshing wheat inside a giant bucket, how well is that going to work for you, right? You, if you're hiding while you're threshing wheat is not an activity that you can do while hiding. You're supposed to thresh wheat on the top of a hill, but now you're threshing wheat in a wine press. So this person who is doing this completely ineffectual activity, no threshing is actually going to be happening while he's in the base of the wine press. This person who is hiding while threshing wheat, which was, by the way, also women's work, like that's also the joke is that is that Gideon was doing this stereotypically woman's job. Um, the Lord says to him, this kind of effeminate guy hiding in a wine press, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, there is nothing mighty or warrior like about Gideon at this point, but this is what God addresses him as. And it's interesting because in the midst of this, G Gideon responds to it with a, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? 
but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us to the hand of Midian. This is interesting. Two things are happening right now. So there's, nothing, there's no evidence that Gideon is an actual mighty warrior. None whatsoever. And not only that, Gideon doesn't even believe that the Lord is with them and working in this place. They are people who are oppressed. They are people who are crushed. They are people who are having their food and the efforts of their work stolen and sent to another country every single day. And Gideon has embodied this. All of these miracles that happened in the past, they're not happening now. And it's in the midst of, of not being a warrior, in the midst of not even believing that the Lord is with him, that Gideon, the, the Lord comes to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's where he meets him right at this moment. Can we go to the next one? Yeah, we're going to have to do it. So the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and we will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Now, this is interesting, because Gideon is lying. If we went back into the book of Judges and, and looked at Gideon's family, they are actually a relatively prominent family. Gideon is, is the least in his family because he's the ineffectual runt of the litter. But, but Gideon is not one of these, is not somebody poor and on the outside. But this is how Gideon understands himself. What's important is that God meets this person who doesn't feel any self-confidence, who doesn't have anything in him that is saying, I'm going to take care of the world around me. God is meeting him and saying, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to do all of these things. And Gideon is meeting him and saying, like, how on earth is this going to happen? I'm tiny and ineffectual and small. There is nothing that, that can happen in the midst of this. Can we go to the next one? Gideon replied, now this is interesting, Gideon replied, if I have now found favor in your sight, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offer, offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Now I love this scene because God has just said to Gideon, I am with you mighty warrior. I want you to go raise an army. And Gideon's like, can I get some two-step verification that it is actually you who is doing this can you click on this box and let me know that you are not a robot you know like that's what Gideon is doing but what's amazing is that God isn't insulted by this although he might be a little bit insulted but he doesn't act as if he's insulted God doesn't respond to him in that way God says fine I'll wait until you return fine what do you want what do you want me to do what do you want so Gideon goes and he's like, he prepares like an offering and he prepares some like meat and some food in the book of Judges. And then, and he lays it in front of where the Lord is standing and the Lord, and the Lord touches his staff to it and it's all consumed. And Gideon is like, oh, oh, you're actually here, you know, and God, so God condescends himself to Gideon's demands in order to help Gideon become who he has been called to be. It's a fascinating thing that God doesn't meet Gideon and say, like, really, you're going you're gonna to ask me to, like, go through these motions for you? Forget it. I'll go find somebody else. That is the way that we would work as the world. But G God doesn't do that with Gideon. He, 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 he meets him in his place. So, God, so Gideon goes through the initial sacrifice, and then we're going to see what happens next. So the first thing that God asks Gideon to do is that he says that in your town— there is an Asherah pole, which was a pole set up to the idol uh, Asher, and there, and there was a, a, an idol set up to worship Baal, okay? And they weren't supposed to have those. They, they weren't supposed to worship idols. And so the first thing that God says to Gideon is he says, I want you to go tear those down. Now, Gideon obeys. This is interesting. But he only, he kind of partially obeys because he said, so Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him, but because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than the daytime. So does this sound like a mighty warrior yet? Yeah, does this sound like, like if Gideon was genuinely the mighty warrior that God had called him at the beginning, like the mighty warrior just walks in in the middle of the day and like kicks the pole over and is like, what are you going to do? But Gideon doesn't do that. He's genuinely afraid of everybody, so he sneaks in in the middle of the night and then tears everything down. And what happens is the town is mad, and then they do. The Bible says they did an investigation and found that Gideon was responsible for it. I think that there was DNA left at the scene. I think that that is what happened. 
or Gideon was like the the dumb criminals on PEI when I grew up that would like leave a track of snow to like I was my uncle was in town this week and uh, and he once had some guys try and steal a safe from his shop. So what they did was they stole a safe from a shop and then brought it outside. And then it was a very heavy safe. They couldn't move it. So they also stole a Pontiac 6000 and used it to push the safe to their hotel room. Now, this is a true story. This happened in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. They, they pushed it to the Southport Motel. Now, the uh, problem was about five centimeters of snow had fallen that night. So there was literally a track <laughs> of a car pushing a safe to the Southport Hotel. Uh, they tracked them down. Uh, they got two years less a day in Sleepy Hollow. Uh, and then they broke out and then tried to steal my uncle's safe again um, for the second time. Uh, only problem was the safe had been empty for about 50 years. So not only that, my uncle was a mechanic, and they like were taking it to a hotel room. If you really wanted to break into the safe, he had tools with which to break into the safe there. Anyway, sorry. So. Gideon is more like those guys than he is like a mighty warrior. So we did it rather. So so they tracked down Gideon and then uh, so and and everybody was really mad with him. And finally Gideon's dad steps up and is like, if Baal is is like really God uh, is really a god, then he can he can deal with them on their own. So Gideon is is frightened in the midst of this. So can we go to the next one? So still not a mighty warrior. He's not behaving in mighty warrior ways. But now we get partly to the mighty warrior part where the Amalekites, the Midianites, all the people who were oppressing Israel, they crossed the Jordan River, which was an act of war. The only reason they're crossing the Jordan River is because they come looking for a fight. So Gideon starts to behave in the way that, uh, that, that he ought to if he's going to be who God has called him to be. He blew a trumpet, summoning the Abiyah's rights to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so, so that they too went up to meet them. So Gideon starts to behave like a more mighty warrior should behave. He's like, okay, you're get, you guys are getting set up for a fight. We're going to get set up for a fight too. But what's interesting is that Gideon isn't all the way there yet. Let's go on to the next one. Gideon said to God, now this is interesting, Gideon has already gathered all of his army, right? He's already gathered them there. But after that, Gideon says to God, look, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, look, okay. Um, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there was dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. This is what happened. So he makes God do this again. A lot of people times are like, oh, we should set out a fleece. And that's a good thing and a beautiful thing to do. But what we see is God condescending to Gideon here. He's like, you've already got an army gathered. What are you going to? And it's interesting that our transforma Gideon's transformation into the mighty warrior that God has called him to be is by no means consistent. It's not like he starts in one place and then like steadily climbs up the mountain and every, every step is closer to becoming a mighty warrior. The, the last scene, we see him, he's the mighty warrior. He's blowing the trumpet. He's saying, okay, they're trying to pick a fight. We're going we're gonna to get ready for a fight too. Let's everybody get ready. And then the next moment, he's like, God, I don't really feel good about this. Maybe you could help me with the fleece thing, please. Could you do like a magic trick with the dry and the wet? That would be, right? But God meets him in the midst of it. That's what happened. When Gideon rose the next day, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew of a boil full of water. Then Gideon said, do not be angry with me, which is always what you say when you know that the thing that you're going to do is about to make someone angry at you. It's like saying, with all due respect, which you only say right before you're about to say something completely disrespectful, don't be angry with me. Let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but at this time make the fleece dry and the ground be covered with dew. And that night God did so, and only the fleece was dry and the ground was covered with dew. This is not the behavior of a mighty warrior. This is not the behavior of someone who is filled with faith. This is the behavior of someone who feels called to a job that is way bigger than them, and they don't understand how it's going to be accomplished. So they're asking every step of the way, like, God, is this what you want? Is this what you want? It's really easy to beat up Gideon at this point in time. It's really easy to come down on him and be like, really, you're going to make God go, over, go through all these hoops for you? But if I'm honest, I've felt the exact same way, that sometimes the night before, the, in, in the moment before you're supposed to do something God has called you to do, that's when you feel the most doubt. 
That's when you feel the most afraid. That's when you feel the most alone. So it is not unusual that Gideon operated in this way, that, that, that even in this moment, he's asking God to jump through hoops for him. And, and, and what's amazing is that the God who created the universe does not hold back from jumping through hoops for Gideon. He does it, and it tr- helps to transform Gideon to who he's called to be. So let's go to the next one. The Lord said to Gideon, so they gather 22,000 men. Just 22,000 men from different tribes, and they're ready to go for a fight. 22,000 is roughly, it was smaller than the, the Midianite army, but it was still a, good, a goodly number of people who would have been fighting age. Um, but God said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. Which is, I always think, like an interesting recruiting moment for your army. Right? Like, I think that that's great to be standing at the battlefield being like, hey, anyone scared? Okay, you can go. And then they did, like, and, and 22,000 men left. Like, so many people are just like, okay. <laughs> you know, it's, this is great. And, and you can imagine how Gideon is feeling. Like, okay, this is too many men. All the scared people leave. That's going to be like a couple, th- maybe a couple hundred. Oh, no. There's, that's a lot of people. That is what are we doing now, Lord? So go to the next one. He continues with the test because God is getting back at Gideon now. He's like, really? You're going to make me do the fleece trick? Well, I'm going to make you do the people trick. Here you go. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and he says he's still got too many men. Separate those who lap from the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Now, we can argue about which of these is the better way to drink. I have no idea, because there's some people who would be like, see, the wise warriors lap like a dog, because that leaves them. I have no idea. But generally in the Bible, when you're being compared to a dog, it's a bad thing. Like, in Proverbs, it says, like, a dog returns to his vomit, so a, f- a fool returns to his folly. That's what happens when you're compared to a dog. So these are not the wisest and best warriors, according to, to Hebrew lore. 300 of them drank from their cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped like dogs, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. So let the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. Now, I love that it doesn't say, talk about their weapons, but it talks about their trumpets. Like, it's like, okay, now we got a 300-person marching band. This is great. Ready to go into battle. Let's go to the next one. So naturally, Gideon comes over the next night, and he's pretty frightened. He's like, we're going to go get into a fight the next day. This fight is bigger than us. Uh, He's very confident. He's very scared. And during the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack, the Lord's been with Gideon for a little while now. So he's 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 already anticipating Gideon's needs, right? If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So let's go to the next one. And this is probably my favorite in the moment in the whole story. So Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend a dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp and it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. And his friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelites. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into their hands. That is a joke. We're supposed to laugh at the end of that. The Midianite people are like, ha ha, Gideon is a rolling loaf of bread. Now, and I don't know if you've ever had a friend nicknamed Breadloaf, but you don't give your friend the nickname Breadloaf because he's an intimidating fighting guy. I didn't have a friend named, Mi- named Breadloaf, but I did have a friend that we nicknamed Milkbags. And we called him Milkbags because when he took his shirt off, he looked like a bag of milk. And we did not name him that because he was incredibly fit and intimidating, right? So when Gideon, when they're comparing Gideon to a loaf of bread, when they hear the rolling barley loaf, we're imagining that like Gideon must be some sort of Patton Oswalt looking guy who's like rolling in to take over the camp. That's who Gideon is. He doesn't look anything like a mighty warrior. And they're insulting him. They're like, yeah, we're going to fight a bread, fight a loaf of bread. That's going to be awesome. Ha ha. The whole camp will be destroyed. But what's interesting is even as they're insulting him, 
When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed his head and he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Somehow, when we're doing what God has called us to do, we hear insults as affirmations. I know what this feels like. A couple of, mo- a couple of years ago, somebody came to, uh, a friend of mine, still a friend, came to visit our church, uh, and he wasn't ready for, for stuff. And then, but he left, uh, but, but somebody talked to him about our church, and, and uh, he said, oh, what did you think of Dan's church? And he said, oh, pretty Jesus-y. Which he meant as an insult, but I was like, yeah, you're right we are. Like, uh, I'm glad that the conclusion that you came with as you left our church was like, oh, pretty Jesus-y. Like, I'm okay with that. That's an insult that sounds like affirmation to me. You meant that as a degradation, that, that we should, we're, we're talking too much about Jesus and we're not talking enough about, like, I don't know, polar bears or whatever you want to talk about. That's fine. But, like, but to me, that's affirmation. We're doing what we've been called to do. So if you leave here and you're like, that, they're kind of Jesus-y, yeah, we are. That's the nature of who we are. When you're doing what God has called you to do, because Gideon is finally becoming who God has called him to be, insults sound like affirmations. Let's go to the next one. So then 300 trumpets sounded, and the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. God works a miracle where they begin to fight each other in their confusion. The army fled to Beth Zitta towards Zerubbah, as far as the border of Abel-Meholah near Tabith. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all, Asher and all Manasseh were called off, and they pursued the Midianites. God calls the, the army together, and, and, ten, and, and, and thousands of people flee from 300 men. That, which is what God had promised to them in Deuteronomy, that when you do what I called you to do, a thousand will flee from ten. That is very specific in the words. So God grants Gideon the victory, and he becomes who he's been called to be. Can we go to the next one? Oh, uh, yeah. So there's a few things that I want us to notice and point out as we go into this, because this is a story about transformation. When we meet Gideon, like I talked about before, there is a gap between who Gideon is and who God has called him to be. God says, you, hello, uh, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, and Gideon is this scared bread loaf of a man hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. There's a huge gap between what God has called him to be and who he actually is. And actually, Gideon doesn't even believe that what God has called him to be is true. He believes that that's impossible, that that gap isn't even worth attempting to cross. But yet God is calling him to it. And what we learn from this story of of, of Gideon growing into that role, of going into the cocoon and coming out the the warrior butterfly that God has called him to be, that that we see what works here that, that we can interpret is that God sees us and calls us what we are before there's any evidence to that fact. So God has called you strong. God has called you healthy. God has called you useful. God has called you loved. And even if there's no evidence in your life to that fact, God calls you that because it's true. So part of what we do is we listen to the things that God calls us rather than the things that we call ourselves. We listen to what God calls us rather than the things that the world calls us because he is telling us the truth about who we are, just as he told Gideon the truth about who he was. Even in the midst of there being no evidence of him being a mighty warrior, God knew what he was and what was in him. So listen to what God calls you. God responds to our obedience even in the midst of our doubts. Gideon did not believe that he was who God had called him to be, but yet he obeyed. He was too scared to knock down the idols, but he did it anyway. In the middle of the night, he obeyed. And in the midst of his doubts, God responded to him. He didn't believe even up until the very moment before they attacked the Midianites. He did not believe that God could give them into his hands. But in the midst of his obedience, in the midst of him just saying, I'm going to take one more step, God responded to him. Transformation into what God has called us to be is never a straight line. Even in the midst of God, him calling the army, Gideon gathers this army around him. They're expecting him to lead them. He is their mighty warrior. Even in the midst of that, he's saying, like, God, I, 
Could you do the fleece trick for me, please? Not a straight line. So don't expect yourself to walk a straight line as you walk into transformation. When you're moving into what God has called you, insults sound like affirmation. When you're moving into what God has called you, you will be insulted. That's just the nature of the world around us. That's the nature of the, our enemy working against us. That's the nature of the entropy of the world, trying to fight against anyone try, becoming what they've been called to be. There is going to be insults. But when we get, when we're doing what we've been called to do, those insults sound like affirmation. You know? You've, we see this all the time, like where, where you know, you spent your, your whole life, you know, or, or I, I know someone who... Uh, Sorry, when my mom went back to university, I'm going to tell this story, Mom, and I think it's true because I've heard you tell it before. My mom went back to university in her early 30s, uh, and she had not been to university before, but she started going to nursing school. And she worked very hard at it, and she wasn't a person who had a lot of academic success when she was younger. She failed grade 11, you know, and now was, uh, was starting university as a, as a woman in her, in her, in her late 30s, actually, because I was already, you know as a woman in her late 30s. And she worked really hard, of it, hard at it, and she got really good marks. But in the midst of that, people were saying to me, oh, you're a bookworm now? Yes. Yes, she was. She was working really hard to try and get what she wanted to do. So that insult was an affirmation, right? Everybody's like, oh, are you going to be a bookworm now? Oh, are you going to be an exercise freak now? Or are you going to be too Jesus-y now? That insult is an affirmation because because that's that people are getting upset at you becoming who God has called you to be. And that's going to happen for all of us as well. So the challenge as we go through this, and over the next little while, we're going to be unveiling a more concrete transformation plan. Trust me, it's coming. I'm not lying about that. You, the, the, the elders got a bunch of stuff this week that I'm very, very excited about. Uh, probably the thing that I'm most excited about that I've ever made, which is surprising. Um... But as we're doing that, this, these are the things that we need to be prepared for. That if there's a gap between who you are and who you've been called to be, that's okay. Listen to what God has called you. Don't listen to what you've called you. Because you don't know the truth about who you are yet. But God does. And let us embrace this transformation as we begin to move forward into it. And let's expect that God is going to move in these ways and make us new, just like he made Gideon new as well. Let's pray together. God. We are thankful that you help bring us to transformation. We are helpful that you call us who and what we are even before we know who and what we are. We are thankful that, you, that there are good deeds for us to do that you have prepared for us from the beginning, which you have told us in Ephesians. And we ask that as we do that, as we, as we begin to accept the reality of our own transformation, as we begin to take tentative steps to who you have called us to be, both as individuals, as families, and as a church, we ask that you would give us the courage to keep going. To when, we, to when we doubt, help us to continue to reach out to you and not shrink back. When we doubt, help us to continue to push forward into what you have called us to be and help us to listen. And, and when we are opposed and insulted, to hear that as an affirmation that we are beginning, becoming and getting closer to what you have called us to be because that's what you're doing in us and among us, and help us to share that with others as we go. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So all of this transformation is made possible in the cross of Jesus. Because while we were yet sinners, while we were still afraid, while we were still bread loaves hiding in a wine press trying to thresh wheat, while we were all of these ineffectual things, Christ died for us. And Christ died for us that we might be made new from the inside out, that everything about us might be transformed into what he has called us to do and what he has called us to be. And it is that that we celebrate and we remember as we go to this table. That as, uh, that as in, in Jesus' sacrifice, in his, in his life and in his death, and it is in the new covenant made in his blood, that there is room made and power uh, uh, set free for us to do and be what God has called us to, to do and become. So let's help us 
so 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 let's take a moment as we pray and get ready for this table to to let go of all of those things that are preventing us from from transforming it to, to repent of all of those those things that we're calling ourselves rather than allowing God to call us into reality. And remember that as we come to this table, that, that who we are is accepted by God and saved by God. So let's take a few moments to pray together.